Hello and welcome to Feeling the Sink, a podcast from Catalan News. My name is Alejandra Angul Alonso and today we are talking about cava, a staple of the Catalan gastronomy and culture. So take a seat, relax, pour yourself a glass of this very tasty sparkling wine if you like. Guiding me through the next 20 minutes or so are my colleagues, Cristina Thomas-White and Gerard Schaefog. Hi both! Hi, how's Hi. it going? How are you? Thanks for having us. Oh, good. Thanks for joining. So, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think about cava? Well, uh, New Year's Eve and celebrations. Yeah, definitely right? New Year's. I think that's probably one of the few times I've ever actually had it. New Year's celebrations, you know, like weddings, yeah, graduations. Or like celebrating something with your family or like a birthday. Yeah, yeah. it's, it's just not for, something I usually drink, to be It's honest. more for a toast at the end of the lunch or dinner, I would go. Yeah, yeah. I mean, cava is not my go-to drink uh, either. But I have to admit that since I moved to Barcelona... I sometimes enjoy a glass from time to time. I don't know if, if it's the Mediterranean weather or what, but yeah, it's definitely growing on me. So the term cava, that's a Catalan word, right? Cava, well, yes, it means cellar, which is where the wine was stored or aged. Right, right. And kind of like since we're getting out into the origins of this drink, uh, I would like to talk about the history of cava. It all started here in Catalonia, right? Yeah, it all started here in nearby Barcelona, in 45 minutes away from here. San Sadurní d'Anoia. Mm-hmm. Well, again, I guess technically it kind of started in France, if we're going to be honest, because Mr. Josep Maria Ravantos, who was part of the, who worked for the Codorniu cellar, which we'll talk more about later, the winery, he traveled to France, and that's where he learned how to make this drink. And then he came back here in 1872, he made his first bottle of cava. Yeah, like he traveled to France because that's where they were doing champagne. And obviously he learned there, he got inspiration from the tradition and he started doing the drink here in Catalonia. And it was only called, they only started calling it cava really in the 70s because, you know, in France they weren't too happy with people here in Spain using the same name. So then how does cava differ from other sparkling wines like Champagne and Prosecco, let's say? Well, the main difference is the place of origin of cava. Cava is mainly done here in Catalonia. But it's, I mean, it's also made in other parts of Spain. So over 90% is made in Catalonia, but, you know, you also have cava producers in Extremadura, in the Valencia region, the Basque Country, Aragon. Uh, while Champagne come from the Champagne region in France, north center of France, and it can only be produced in that area, so that's why we have to differentiate. But the method is... Yeah, the method is is essentially the same, um, except for here they're not allowed to say that it's the méthode champenoise, that's why they called it the méthode traditionnelle. Uh, but essentially, the second fermentation process is exactly the same as um, in Champagne, which is to say that it's done in bottles. Whereas Prosecco, the second fermentation process is done in large deposits. Uh, If you're not an expert, which I am not, the taste is very similar, though. It's all bubbly. (laughs) It's all bubbly. (laughs) Makes you happy. That's a cute summary, Gerard. Uh, but there are also different kinds of uh, cava, right? Because I have heard people talking about the brut, brut nature, semi-sec or semi-dry. How is that? 
Well, it all depends on the levels of alcohol that you have on that drink. Yeah, the levels of sugar. <laughs> um, so after the second fermentation process, there's something that's called a disgorgement, which is where they take out the sediment that gathers at the, in the bottle uh, during this uh, second fermentation process. And before they cork it again, you know, add the foil cap and the label, before they do that, they add the dosage or the liquor d'expedition, which is as it's called here. And depending on how much sugar this liquor has, um, you get these different flavors. Mm-hmm. So the Brut driest, yeah. yeah, the driest would be brut nature or brut nature, however you want to call it. Then you have extra brut, brut, um, very dry, dry, semi-dry and sweet. Mm, I see. It's a bit tricky, but I cannot get it. So the semi-dry is sweeter than the brute. Um, I was just wondering, uh, just jumping tracks again, is cava mainly sold locally or exported? Well, cava has a huge presence abroad. Two out of three bottles are sold abroad. And for example, Germany, US, even Belgium, those are the biggest markets for cava. But people here drink it a lot as well. Oh, wow, that's uh, impressive. So many countries. And I would like to ask you now about the most famous cava producers in Catalonia. Well, there are plenty, but everyone thinks of the main two, Freixenet and Codorniu. Codorniu is the oldest cava maker and one of the oldest wine cellars in the world. Yeah, no, it's it's the oldest winery in Catalonia and in the rest of Spain and one of the oldest in the world. And Freshenet also has a huge international presence. And it's really common to wait for Christmas because Christmas is when Freshenet and Codernio did their Christmas advertisements. And everyone was looking forward to them to see what they were going to surprise yeah, us. Yeah, they're each always year. a big, big production. And both of these are located in San Sadurni da Noia, even though they have a presence elsewhere in Spain and around the world, you know, Freshenet, they're even in California. But they both, um, the original wineries are in San Sadurni da Noia, which is in the Alpenades region, south of Barcelona, kind of between Barcelona and Tarragona. And there you, you see a lot of winemakers where they've been making wine there for over 2,000 years. So it's it's um, very entrenched in the local history. Typically, these were smaller family businesses that were working out of mazillas, which are the, the Catalan country houses um, that you see in the countryside. Some of them are still quite small, as we'll hear later on with Corpinat, uh, the, the ones that are under the Corpinat label. We'll, we'll talk about that later, don't worry. But um, others like Codorniu have, have gotten much bigger. And so while Catalonia has many different wine regions, you know, there's Priorat and, and in Bordeaux they also make wine up, up north near France, um, most of sparkling wine, most of the sparkling wine is from Alpenades. Yeah, very interesting. All the stories of this uh, wine growing families. And you both actually visited uh, Codonio, uh, the oldest winery in Spain, as you already mentioned. How was it? How was the experience? Yeah, well, we, we had, had a lot of fun. We yeah. did have a lot yeah. of fun, yeah. It was a lot longer than we'd expected, the, the visit, but there was so much to see, so it was mm-hmm. lots of fun. Yeah, we had a special visit. Normally, it's around 1 hour 30. We got to up to three hours. Yeah, yeah our the, guide the was showing treat. us everything. Yeah, <laughs> the special treatment. Yeah. 
That's nice, that's nice. So I'm excited to find out more about this place. Let's travel to Color New now through the magic of podcasting. I'll see you back in a minute. You only have to drive 45 minutes from Barcelona to discover one of Catalonia's most well-preserved pieces of history. The Cava Scolor New Cellaries, where the first bottle of Catalan sparkling wine Cava was made 150 years ago. Scolor New has its headquarters and its cellars, one of the oldest in the world, in the town of San Sadurní d'Anoia, home to dozens of winemakers. As you get out of the car, you can already smell the wine around you. El raïm arriba First, the grape shipments arrive, Esteban Pérez García from Color News and our tourism department says. Then they analyze the fruit's acidity before pressing the grapes to get most and fermented grape juice. This process used to take place in a modernisme Art Nouveau building designed by Josep Puig i Cadafal. He is hand-in-hand hand with Antoni Gaudí, one of the main modernisme style architects just over a century ago. Color New has several early 20th century warehouses made of stone and stained glass windows that are well integrated into a unique surrounding. Vineyards abound and there is a constant arrival of tractors full of grapes. Around 250 wine growers from the area bring us grapes, Esteva says. All of them are from the Deo Cava, as winemakers cannot use grapes that are not recognized by the drinks regulatory body, he adds. One of the most impressive parts of our tour around the Cava's Codor News is the tunnels. It is below ground that Esteva shows us the first hand-dug tunnels. And where Josep Raventós made the first bottle of cava ever, before taking us further along a subterranean maze full of bottles of cava, where a surprise awaits us. Well, Cristina, what's this noise? <laughs> We're on a little train. <laughs> To the center of the earth. While on the trolley train, we learned that the temperature in the tunnels is stable. Cava has to remain at around 15 to 16 degrees in order to undergo the second fermentation. Unfortunately, we reach our final destination and we have to get off the train. We did have plenty of fun, but duty calls. We arrived at the last part where we removed the sediment from the bottle, Esteva says, while holding up a bottle to show us what he's talking about. Unlike some other wineries, Cooler New freezes the top of the glass bottle to take the sediment out, he continues. This sediment has all the unfermentable products in wort, such as fats, proteins, hops, and dead yeast after a fermentation process that lasts a minimum of nine months. Then, they add the sugar required for each cava type before bottles are corked. Once the bottle is clean, the company adds the label and the cava is ready to be served. And just before leaving, it's time to finally taste some cava. (laughs) 
Thanks for that, Gerard. It's fascinating all the work that goes into producing Cava. I mean, producers have to meet very stringent guidelines, some more than others, which actually brings me to talk about the regulatory bodies for sparkling wine production in the country, the Cava, the Panades, and Corpinat. And Christina, maybe you would like to expand on this. What are the main differences between the three labels? Well, the main difference is that Deo Cava is the, actually the only thing we can call Cava. Deo Panades makes a sparkling wine called Classic Panades, and Corpinat um, is a label with many wineries within it that make different kinds of sparkling wines. And so Classic Panades, the makers of Classic Panades and Corpinat, they used to make Cava. It all used to be called Cava. But more recently, they split off from them and they decided to have their more stringent guidelines, kind of like what you were saying. They use the same traditional method of making the sparkling wine, but it's only been the last decade that they've started using these other distinctions like classic panades and corpinat and not cava. And this was due to a marking strategy? Well, kind of. I guess you could say that they just wanted to make it clear that they were that they were a lot stricter with their quality requirements and and how they make the beverage. So they all used to make what was called cava, and then only in the past decade have classic panades and corvinat um, broken ties and said that they're making their own sparkling wines, even though that's the same method. It's the same production method. Mm, I see. The essential difference here is the aging process. So while Deo Cava, they have a minimum nine-month second fermentation period. For Classic Panades, that's 15 months. And for Corpinat, that's 18 months at least. So, I mean... Cava actually has sparkling wines that have been aged much longer than nine months, too, sometimes. But the minimum for cava is, is nine months, whereas for the others, it's much longer. Aside from that, the other two are all organic, whereas Deo Cava isn't necessarily organic. We'll hear more about these differences later on. Oh, right. And do we know which one is what range is more expensive? Well, Corpinat and the classic Panades tend to be more expensive, uh, generally speaking, just because the aging process has to be longer. Uh, that said, Cava also has some Gran Reserva sparkling wines that are far more expensive than, you know, the five euro bottle you might find at a supermarket. Yeah. So there's a bit of everything, but... Yeah, it's, it's definitely not the one that I buy <laughs> at my local supermarket. Okay, and another thing a sparkling wine producer is uh, Recaredo. Recaredo is also a family business, uh, not as old as Codonio. I believe that they are started in 1924. Cristina, you spoke with a representative from the Recaredo brand, is that right? Yes, I did. I spoke with the CEO, who also is the president of the Corpinat label, and he's also in San Saturni Noia. All right, so let's have a listen. I'm curious to know how they see themselves compared to other producers. To get a feel for Corpinat's sparkling wines and what they stand for, Gerard and I met with Don Mata. My name is Don Mata, and I am the CEO of uh, Recaredo, a winery from San Sedurni de Noia. And also, I am the president of uh, Corpinat. The interview took place in a vineyard he drove us to outside of San Sadurni Noia, in one of the most spectacular locations I've ever had the opportunity to go to for work. <laughs> Corpinat 
Corpinat comes from the word cor, which means heart, and pinat, which is the root of the word penades. So we're in the heart of the penades winemaking region. And there are vineyards almost as far as the eye can see. Amazia country house to my right. And ahead of me to the left, Montserrat Mountain. Cava, everyone, at least in Catalonia, knows what cava is. So I asked Tun why a number of smaller wineries that also make sparkling wine would choose to bid the name farewell. Well, everything began uh, many years ago when some friends from different wineries, we were talking about what was happening in, in the cava world and we, we, we were not completely uh, agree with all that was happening, I mean. And finally in 2018 uh, was created Corpinat as a, as a European a collective brand. There are, at the moment, only 11 wineries that use this label for their sparkling wine, compared to Cava's 140 or so, and the 2.3 million bottles they produce per year pale in comparison to Cava's 250 million. But they're a far more exclusive bunch, and they all only come from the Penades area. You must be organic, the whole company. You must pick by hand the grapes. You must age minimum 18 months on the list. So Cava, for instance, is nine months. Champagne is 15 months. Corpinat is 18 months. Also, something very important for us is that you must do your own vinification. So it must be state bottle. It's completely forbidden to buy wines to other companies. You must produce your own wine in your company. When it comes to the future, Ton expressed some concern. We are really scared about the change of the climate because uh, more and more often we have higher temperatures, less rainfall, and that makes that the plant is suffering uh, and uh, we have less, less grapes. What happens is that finally the, the yield is very low. That means that the cost will be higher Sun was even telling us that you can hear the effects of climate change. The ground is drier, so as you walk, it's a lot crunchier. It's, it's louder than other years. But despite this, he was also optimistic about Corpinat's potential. I think that uh, Corpinat is a wonderful opportunity for our territory, for our area, for our region, and I hope that Corpinat uh, will become one of the greatest sparkling wine regions of the world. I guess only time will tell if Ton's dream is compatible with the ever-present reality of climate change. Thanks, Christina. Very interesting. And talking about sustainability in the world of sparkling wines, Cava, Corpinat, and classic uh, Panades, some vineyards have begun the harvest earlier than usual this year due to drought and intense heat. What else do we know about how climate change is impacting the production of this drink? Well, one of the biggest impacts is the harvesting time. They have to start earlier because of the heat. Grapes are ready before time and that complicates things because obviously they used to plan the harvesting time before to, for mid-August more or less. Some wine cellars even started this year uh, at the end of July. 
Yeah, no, and it makes it harder to use certain varieties of grapes. So even though Chardonnay and Pinot Noir are not the typical Mediterranean grapes, there are some sparkling wines here that are made with them, but because they're from Northern Europe, they just aren't as resistant to the climate change. Right, and I think you already mentioned something about this, but uh, do we know what other things uh, vineyards are doing to reduce the effects of climate change? Uh, some wineries have been harvesting at night, and they go out with um, big <laughs> lights. Big, yeah, lights. because it's harder on the grape pickers if they mm -hmm. have to be out in the sun for too many hours. Mm -hmm. Another way to reduce the effects of climate change is to plant vineyards in higher altitudes as well, and to avoid like the heat and like to have it a little bit more fresh and then mm -hmm. as it used to be in previous years. Yeah, no, um, Ton was telling us that they used to plant some of their vineyards, some of their vines at, you know, 200 meters above sea level, and now they've had to do it at 300, 400, things that they hadn't seen in the recent past. Mm -hmm. um, aside from that, he was also telling us that they'd have to set up, possibly set up structures that would be able to um, provide shade to the area just to mm -hmm. keep it cooler. Yeah, to avoid, to avoid the extreme hours of sun, because obviously... Here in Catalonia, they don't lack sun. They just want shade, yeah, and right. it's complicated. And this way, it helps keeping the soil moisture as well. Mm -hmm. The key solution, they said, could be irrigation. Mm -hmm. But obviously, they said that's our last resource because it will be not sustainable at all. Yeah, no, especially if they're organic, but then they're using so much water just to keep the plants alive. It, it just comes to show that the same bottle of cava or sparkling wine that you buy at the supermarket or, or a winery or a bodega for a certain amount of money will be much more expensive down the line because the production costs are going up because of climate change. Right, right. And just before we wrap up, one final question for you, especially since you uh, brought up how production and working conditions are getting trickier, how much do grapes actually cost? Well, it depends on who buys them. When we were speaking with the president of Corpinat, he's told us that the label has a um, commitment that they have to pay at least 75 cents per kilogram of grapes, which is above market average. While Cava, Dio Cava, for example, they pay around 30, 40 cents per kilogram of grapes. And that varies a lot depending on where these grapes are from. So what they were telling us is that in Extremadura, for example, the cost can go down as low as 13 cents per <laughs> kilo of grapes. So it really depends. And obviously when we talk about fruit pickers, we have to also consider labor rights. And probably there are some concerns depending on the conditions and everything. So Yeah, if the farmer is being paid that amount for the grapes, how much is the fruit picker being paid for their work at night or during the day when it's very hot? <laughs> Under a heavy sun. Yeah, of course. A lot of work uh, goes into producing uh, cava. At least it's nice to see that some vineyards are taking this initiative and incorporating this type of eco-friendly improvements into the winery. And now Codorniu, for example, the other big seller we spoke with, they are planning to have organic, 100% organic production from next year. So as Christina already yeah. mentioned in her package. Yeah, and Cortinat yeah, is actually suggesting that it was thanks to them that Cava is taking more of an initiative in this department. Yeah, that's, that's great. And I kind of get why they are so focused on maintaining the excellence of this product uh, while taking very good care of the land because at the end of the day is heritage. We are talking about some of them are family businesses, 
things that you know will be passed on to future generations. And with that, let's go to our weekly Catalan phrase. Who's doing the honors this week? I'll go. Well, I can do it. Go for it. Cap de suru. Ooh, that's a tricky one. Uh, uh, let me let me think. I got this. Let me think. Cap. Is that the? You're talking about the cork? The head. The cap. Yeah. And and the, suru is is cork. So it means literally it means cork head. But it's kind of like an old insult, you know, that <laughs> when you're calling someone stupid or ignorant, you can be like, hey, you corkhead, cap the suru. Okay, okay. There you go, in a nutshell. That's all we have time for today. Thanks for listening. Do please subscribe to Feeling the Scene wherever you get your podcast, if you haven't already. We are back again next Saturday with another episode of Feeling the Scene. Until then, from me, Alejandra Angula Alonso and all of us here at Catalan News. Bye for now. Adeu.